some things are good no matter how old they get. You know, I, I love old things. I love classics. You know, I'd rather read a book that's 100 years old than read a book that's like three months old. And, you know, you look it up on Amazon. It's got all these five-star reviews, but it's not that good. You know, you get it, It's like, eh. But, you know, it's, who knows? Maybe fake reviews. Who knows? Well, but, you know, one of those books that is a, a classic is Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It is about 400 years old, and up until the 20th century, it was regarded as the second most printed book in the world, second only to the Bible. And the book of Pilgrim's Progress tells the story about uh, the journey of a young man named Christian. He's on this journey to a place called the Heavenly Country, and he has a friend with him, and his friend's name is hopeful. Well, in the course of their journeys, Christian makes a mistake. They lose their way. They find themselves lost. They're off the path, and it's getting dark, and so they set up camp in a field. They go to sleep. Well, the field happens to belong to a giant. His name is Despair. And he comes out in the morning, and he wakes them up, and he says, you've trespassed on my property, and so you have to come with me. He's larger, he's stronger, and he's faster than they are, and so he takes them, and he locks them up in the dungeon of his castle. He doesn't give them any food, any drink, or even any light. Christian is, is weighed down with sadness because he knows that it's his mistake that got them into this mess, and so he's just sad. Well, Giant Despair had a wife whose, whose name was Low Self-Esteem. And when he asked her what he should do with these travelers, she said that he should beat them. And so he did. He beat them so bad they could not get up. Well, the next morning they're still alive, and the, the wife giant tells her husband that he should suggest to them that they should make an end to their lives, kill themselves. And he goes down into the dungeon and he tells them that their lives are miserable. They're never going to get out of this dungeon. And so he suggests some ways that they might be able to make an end to their lives. For why, said he, should you choose life, seeing it is attended with so much bitterness? Have you ever been there? Well, everybody is on a journey in life, and the passage we're going to take a look at today, the, the nation of Israel is on a journey to the promised land. It's a great land where there's lots of everything that the Israelites want. There's, there's lots of, of mini, milk, there's honey, there's, there's good soil, luxury goods coming off the coast, great trading um, relationships. It was beachfront property. It was a great place to live, and God had promised it to the Israelites. And we're on a journey too. You're on a journey. And in the book of Romans, God makes us, us a promise. Here's what the verse says. Let's have that first slide, Jose. Thanks. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called According to his purpose. 
If you love God and you are living your life for Him, there is a promise there for you. God has a good plan for your life. He's leading you to a good place. And you, don't, you may not know the details of it yet, but God is prom- has promised to lead you somewhere good. It's like He's taken you to your promised land. But on this journey, you and I will encounter a situation where there is one way to go to the promised land. And yet there's a giant right, right in the middle of your path. You know what I'm talking about? There's a a giant in your life that has been a part of your life for a long time. Or maybe you should have just shown up all of a sudden. But, but, if, but if you are going to let get to that good life that God has for you, you are going to have to face that giant and win and defeat him. Maybe your giant is like the giant in our story, despair. You've lost a loved one, and the sadness is overwhelming. Maybe you've messed something up in your life. And you feel like there's no coming back from this. It's just This giant is telling you there's no joy in your life. There will never be any joy in your life. He's telling you it is impossible to find joy after what has happened to your life. Maybe today your giant is mental illness. You've had this problem for a long time. Nothing seems to be helping. It affects every part of your life. It's, it's damaging your relationships, your ability to work, your ability to enjoy life. It is this giant in your life. And he stands in the way between you and the promised land. Sometimes debt can be a giant in our lives. You know, the debt is so deep, you just don't feel like you'll ever be able to climb out of it. Sometimes it's your marriage problems, 10, 20 years, 30 years of the same problem, and it's breaking your family, and it's breaking you. Sometimes it's a personal addiction, and you feel like you are chained like a prisoner in a dark dungeon. I hope today, guys, that I can communicate to you how important it is that you realize that this step is the step where change, the things that you want in life, those things begin to become real for you. This is the step where you go from brokenness and misery and into the, the healness, healing and the wholeness that you want in your life. This is the step. I hope that I can communicate. This is the big step. But you will never get there you will never get there. Please hear me. I know that I'm a guest speaker and you, know, you don't know me, but I want you to listen carefully to this because you are on a path, a journey. God is leading you somewhere good, but you will never get there unless you face the giants in your life and win. And you can do that. You can do that with God's help. And today we're going to talk about how Our passage today is is Numbers 13. If you have a Bible, you can open it up there. We're also going to have the verses on the screen. It's it's Numbers chapter 13. It's the fourth book in the Bible, as the kids uh, told us earlier. That was wonderful. So let's have that map. 
Jose. All right, so this is where we're at. Uh, the story we're going to look at today is a true story, and I want to give you a feel for where these Israelites are at. They've come out of Egypt, out of slavery. They were slaves in Egypt, and they, God delivered them, and they've wandered in the desert for a year. They met with God at Mount Sinai. That's the green circle there, if you can see that. that they went down into the Sinai Peninsula. They met with God. He, met, he spoke to them out of a thundercloud, and then they headed back north up the peninsula um, to the spot where they're at, and they're heading to the green star. That's the promised land. And so they're on the southern border of the promised land. They're encamped in the desert. They're right on the edge of the good land. And you've got to imagine for a moment, these people were slaves. They have never had a land of their own. They're going to experience home for the first time ever. They're right there. And so here's what happens. Let's have that next verse. The Lord said to Moses, Moses is their leader. He said, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. That's the promised land, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And then God lists off the names of the people he wants to go. It's a bunch of younger men, but they're leaders in their families. And here's the instructions that Moses gave these leaders. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went and investigated the land, and this leads us to our first principle. If you want to enter your promised land, the place where God is leading you in life, you need to first investigate your giants. Let's, I want, can we say this together? Let's, let's, have that, let's say this together. Investigate your giants. The reason investigation is so important is because it gets you all sorts of things that you would not get otherwise, things that are going to help you to defeat the giants that you are facing in your life. It gets you wisdom. It tells you where your giant is weak. It tells you if there's an established way to defeating your giant. It tells you, you know, you find out what, what's going to work, what's not going to work. So how do you do this in real life? How do you investigate your giant? You know, if, you, if your giant in your life is a marriage problem, let's say, go get a, a book, a Christian book on, on how to, to have a healthy marriage. Do some research. Find out what it takes to overcome marriage problems. Find someone who has already gone through this. You know, talk to them. What, what, did the, what worked for them? Find out. You know, it won't change the fact that you'll still have to fight your giant. That's the way this works. You know, they can't fight the giant for you. But when you meet with someone and find out what they did that helped them to, fight their, to defeat their giant, you'll find out what doesn't work, right? You'll find out what sort of weapons you need. You're not going to get the whole way, but it'll help you to be prepared. Many of you may know that uh, there was a season in my life when I was severely depressed. Um, I feel like I've shared about that before. Um, I was in college, and I was studying for ministry, and I could not overcome this feeling of sadness that was just starting to take over more and more areas of my life. And so I'm studying for ministry, and 
I just could not overcome this feeling of sadness. It was a giant in my life. And I knew that if God was going to be able to use me in life, I needed to get healing for this. And so I checked myself into the school counseling center. I got some outside help. And then you know what I did? I tried to learn everything I could about depression. I read books. I read books about emotional healing, books about spiritual healing. I, I read books uh, about how to, um, how to have relationships and how, what that impact has on depression. I, I was, did the internet research, asked my counselor, how does this work? What do I need to do? Um, I was asking about these things, all these different approaches for treating depression. And, and whenever I found somebody who, who had been depressed before, I said, hey, you want to get lunch? And then I would, I would ask them, hey, what, what worked for you? And I got some ideas. I wanted to defeat this giant. And you know what happened? In the course of my investigation, I learned something really important about my giant. I learned that my giant was wearing a disguise. He had on this disguise that said depression all over it. it was, that's all it said. But that wasn't the real giant. Underneath that disguise was the real giant, and the real giant's name was anxiety. I'd never learned how to deal with anxiety in a healthy way, you know, like things like nervousness, worrisomeness, um, you know, troubled feelings, fear. And you see, now that I knew who the real giant was, now I knew where to swing my sword. With God's help, and because of what I learned from many wonderful people, that giant lay slain behind me on my path to the promised land. Hallelujah. Investigate your giant. What do you need to learn about the giant you are facing? You know, as I, th as I think about this need to investigate, I, I often wonder, why does God have us investigate? I mean, think about it for a second. God is leading these Israelites to the promised land. He knows how to defeat the people in the promised land. They don't. He's going to tell them what to do every step of the way. Why do they need to investigate? And I think the same is true for you. Why do you have to investigate? For that matter, why doesn't God just tell you what to do? Why, why, did, why, didn't you, why, doesn't, why, why didn't God just do it for you? Right? He knows what needs to be done. He can do it. Why do we have to do it? Why do we have to investigate and do all these things and obey him? Here's the reason. Because God wants to do this with you. That's, he wants you and him to defeat the giant together. Getting to the promised land is not this sort of journey where you sit back on a stretcher and God carries you in. No, he could. He could. He could but that's not the way he wants to do that. And why, why does he want to do that? Because the whole purpose of life is so that you and him can be together. And so you can have friendship. You journey through life together. That's the dream. And so do not expect God to just do this for you. You have to investigate. You'll have to do hard work. And you'll do your part. And he'll do his part. And together you will take down a giant that you would never be able to have defeated on your own. So investigate your giant. 
Our second principle for facing your giant is to recognize that this is a test of your faith. Let's say this together. Recognize that this is a test of your faith. Let's see how their expedition went. Let's have that next verse. Nope, the, uh, the next one. Let's see, we, we want verse 21. So they went up. There we go. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and they came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch wearing, bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelites cut off there. Eshkol means cluster. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Now, I can just see these guys coming back from the promised land. Can you imagine all those people of Israel waiting to hear the report? I mean, they're just waiting. And, and they've been thinking about this promised land for a full year. That's all they could think about. And if I were with that group of guys, I would have put the two guys with the grapes in the back, and I would have had some people kind of walk in front of them, so, you know, for the element of surprise. And the people would have been like, come on, tell us. How's the land? How's the land? Tell us what it's like. Is it good? Is it, you know, what do those guys have back there? What is that? Is that some of the fruit? And they would have pulled out that grape cluster, and the people would have been like, oh my goodness, that is a huge grape cluster. I've never seen, did you guys just tie some grapes together? Did you, let's, let's have that picture of that grape cluster. Come on, let's have that picture. There it is. They would be like, did you just tie some grape clusters together? What is, is this real? Oh my goodness. And they said, well, what else do you got back there? And they said, um, we got some pomegranates and some figs, and they're good. We, we would have more, but we ate a bunch on the way back. <laughs> and they would have said, come on, sit down, sit down. Tell us what it's like. And here's what they said. Let's have that verse. Let's have that slide. No, the one before that. There we go. They said, we went into the land which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. And they would have looked at that fruit and they would have tasted it. And, uh, and then they, but that's not all they had to say. They had, they had something else they wanted to say. They said, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified. And they're very large. And the atmosphere would have gotten more serious. And then the guy, one of the guys would have let this one slip. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Everyone, everyone would have been like, oh. Everybody would have been groaning. Their hearts would have sank to the floor. This is impossible, they would have thought. You see, the descendants of Anak were known as a race of people that were incredibly large. And they were also known to be fierce warriors. And they've since died out, but the information that we have about them tells us that they were in the neighborhood of 7 to 10 feet tall. And it's not just the Bible that talks about them, by the way. We have Egyptian records that mention these people and place them with the same name and place them in the land of Canaan at the time that we're talking about. And, it's, and, the, and the Egyptian records say the same thing. They were people of unusual height, 
seven to, to nine feet tall. Now, based on armor relics, we know that we can estimate that the average Israelite was somewhere around uh, five feet tall. Imagine being five feet tall and going into battle with a sword against someone nine feet tall. These people were giants to the Israelites. And they said, just all over Canaan, people, the people are just generally larger. Now, God has promised to drive out all the people who live there. He's already made that promise. God's instructions have been very clear. As a nation, they have been instructed to go into the promised land and settle there. It was clear as day. But now that they know that giants live in the land, inside of cities that are huge with walls all the way around, the instruction, you know... It's starting to feel a little confusing. Have you ever had this happen in your life? You know the right thing to do. It's been clear as day all week long. And now that you have to do it and face some danger, you know, I just am not so sure that I'm doing the right thing. Nothing has changed regarding right and wrong. Nothing has changed regarding what God has said. But all of a sudden, we're confused. When right and wrong are clear, when God's desire is clear, and you get out on the path, and there's a giant right in your way, a flag should go up. And that flag says, this is a test of your faith. God is watching to see if you really trust his direction in your life. Do you really trust him? It's a test. Now, here's the good news. If God has placed you up against a giant in your life, he thinks you have what it takes. Here's a promise from God, 1 Corinthians. That's uh, that's the God is faithful. There we go. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Prom- that's a promise you can hold on to. So if what is right is clear, and what is right is also dangerous, then let that flag go up and say, I am being tested. My faith in God is being tested right now. And know in your heart, God thinks I got what it takes. He thinks I can handle this one. He's put me in this place for this time. I can do it. Our next principle for facing your giants is to look at the times when God has been faithful. Let's have that slide. Yeah, let's say this one together. Look at all the times when God has been faithful. God is really faithful to follow through on his promises. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to let this be a cakewalk for us, but he is going to take you to wonderful places. And when we are struggling to trust him, the problem is not that God has not been faithful. The problem is that we are very forgetful. You can face giants and defeat them. You can overcome major obstacles against joy in your life. With God's help, you can do it every time. You've got to look behind you. Look at the path. 
that you have walked. The Israelites, they needed to look at that huge cluster of grapes that was a visible reminder that just like God had said, the land was really good. They needed to look at their memories and their mementos from the parting of the Red Sea. They needed to grab it and look at it. Remember, that was real. That was real in your life too. It's not just a story. It happened. God was faithful. He proved himself. They needed to pull out that gold necklace and remind themselves of the day when they walked out of Egypt like free men. And they got rich in the same day. They needed to to remember that rock that they kept from Mount Sinai when God spoke to them out of a thundercloud and they heard his voice. What do you have to remind you of what God has done in your life? Go look at them. I was, uh, I was, we were driving back from, from uh, vacation this week, and we stopped by my childhood home just for fun. And my parents weren't home. They were off on vacation still. And, and I stopped, and I walked around the house, and I relived some of those memories. And I, I, remember, and I remember tough days at our house and how God worked through that, worked through my family family has, has just, the Spirit of God has blown through my family and done wonderful things. And uh, I forget sometimes what it was like at that house. Pull out that reminder you have of those earlier days. Remember where God has brought you from. He brought you out of that. He can bring you out of this. He is a God of miracles. You do not just have one of them in your life. You have a bunch of them to remember. Remember how faithful over and over again. you got a lot to look back on and say, wow, God did this and he did that. Remember them. They are real. So write them down. You can do this right now. Maybe you have something come to your mind. Just write it down in your bulletin. Write them down and remind yourself of who God has been in your life. Our next principle for facing your giants is to have a can-do-it attitude. Let's say this one together. Have a can-do-it attitude. So all the people were, were pretty weighed, weighed down by this report about the giants who lived in the land. And it wasn't just the giants. It was the cities with walls, the strength of these people. And people were murmuring. They were upset. Well, young Caleb, who had gone on the expedition, he saw what was happening. He asked everybody to be quiet. He said, listen up, guys. As someone who had seen the land, he had something he wanted to say. And this is what he said. He said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, what is interesting here about this, this, this speech of Caleb's is that there's no mention or suggestion of how. He's not saying, uh, he, he doesn't know how we're going to do it. He doesn't even mention God, you know. He's just saying, we can do this. Caleb may not have the how figured out. He may have forgotten to mention God. But man, does he have the right attitude. Attitude matters. Have a can-do-it attitude. You know, I heard this quote from Chuck Swindoll when I was in middle school, and it's been something I've remembered ever since because I feel like it is so true to life. And uh, here's, here's what Chuck Swindoll says about attitude. He says, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude, to me, is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance or giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day 
regarding the attitude that we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is to play to the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced, says Chuck Swindoll, that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. When God is leading you to your promised land, it is a long journey. Sometimes it involves hard work. When you, are, when you are scaling that mountain, sometimes it feels like getting to the top is just really impossible. You need a can-do-it attitude. That is a biblical thing to have. Have faith that positive change is possible. Do not let challenges paralyze you. When you have a can-do-it attitude, you actually unlock your potential. You know, so sometimes we feel like, oh, I can't, I can't change my attitude. You ever feel that way? Sometimes it's tough to change your attitude. But you know what you do then? You go and get some people who have the right attitudes, and you bring them around you. And you let them help you bring up your attitude. That's, that's what those things like the men's breakfasts are for, right? I think you guys have Vineyard FX coming up. And, and the groups and classes that are starting, that's what they're there for. It's a place where you can go and connect and get your attitude pumped up. You know, you know what happens? Sometimes you, 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 you struggle to have the right attitude, and it's, part of the problem is the people you're hanging out with. You know, It's like you get around a new set of people with new sets of attitudes, and their attitudes are going to rub off on you. So, so that's, that's important. Caleb had a can-do-it attitude. But you know what? Not everybody did. Here's what happened. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those who are living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Well, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices, and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only, we, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow. Egypt? <laughs> Slavery? These people had forgotten these people needed to realize that God was with them. They didn't need to be afraid. He's God. All they needed to do was to just get through some scary, tough stuff to get to the place of their dreams. That's all. I mean, it's just so discouraging to read it. So here's what Moses and Aaron did. And it's just discouraging. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. 
And they're a little bit worried for their lives, but they just cannot believe that this is happening. After all they have been through, after all they have seen, the Red Sea, the plagues, now the people don't want to enter the promised land because they have to face some giants. Well, two young men who would be the leaders of the future, they stood up and they spoke. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we pass through is, exce- is, is explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And this leads us to our next principle. If you are going to face giants and really enter into the promised land that God has for you, you need to believe that God is with you and don't be afraid. Let's say this together. Believe that God is with you and don't be afraid. In your journey to the place where God is leading you, there are a lot of unknowns, right? You don't know what's going to happen. It's scary. You might fail miserably. Let's be honest. That's what you're worried about. You might fail miserably. You might get hurt. When you go to actually fight with your giant, you might make things worse. Right? Your giant is scary. Because, you, you, know, you know, you've fought giants like this in the past, and you've lost before. You have made things worse before, right? But this time is different. And it's different because God is with you this time. You cannot fight giants on your own. That is a foolish endeavor. When God is with you, that changes everything. He's much bigger and stronger than the giants. Have some faith in this God who has proved himself over and over again in your life. As you've obeyed him, he proves himself. You've got to obey him, but he proves himself. Don't play it safe. You know, you know, sometimes safe is the wrong decision. You know, yes, if you run away from that giant, you'll never get hurt in a fight with the giant. You'll never get hurt. But you will lose. You will lose. You will miss out on the good things God is wanting to give you, but you won't get them because you were afraid. Don't God has brought you so far. Don't even think about returning to the old ways that you used to live. It is real slavery. Well, the Israelites were too afraid. And some people tried to get the crowd riled up. And the people are once again thinking that Moses and now Caleb and and, uh, Joshua are the problem. And they're talking about killing them by stoning. And here's what happened. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all of the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them. So God shows up and he delivers a punishment for the nation 
that you can read about in Numbers 14. I'm not going to go into that. You'll have to read it for yourself. Numbers 14. I want to hopefully deliver to you this morning the fact that when you have these moments where you are facing a giant and trying to get to the promised land, that these are some of the most important moments of your life. The most important moments of your life. Your ability to trust God in these moments is the difference between making it to the promised land and not making it to the promised land. Sometimes there's something you need to do. Like you need to go and share your problem with someone who can help you. You need to let somebody else know about it. It's going to be tough. It's scary. You've got to start that investigation process. Sometimes there's something crazy bold that God is asking you to do. Something that's scary. Something that you would never want to do or consider doing on your own. And you might not do it perfectly, but you need to do it to get to the promised land. You know, maybe it's confront someone or tell someone that you're thinking about suicide. Maybe it's you need to say sorry to someone for something you did and you're afraid of how they're going to treat you afterwards. But you've got to do it. Don't be afraid. God is with you. He will help you through that difficulty. You, you know that you, know, you don't know what's going to come next, right? He will help you through whatever comes next if you obey Him. Giants are not easy to defeat, but if you are committed to walking through this life with God, He is with you. And there, there, is, there is guarantee. There's a guarantee that you will make it when you have God with you. Sometimes you have a giant, and it's not that you need to act or do something Sometimes you just need to stand firm. You just need to be patient. You know, sometimes you are, you're freaked out about this, this uh, problem that's coming in your life. Maybe, um, you know, your finances or having this, you got this issue in your finances and you're starting to feel desperate. Maybe you're feeling like, man, I need to get a third job or, you know, wh- whatever it is. Maybe, maybe I need to, to do this. And you're, you're, you're feeling like running away from your problems, right? Sometimes you want to run away. Sometimes you just need to be patient and say, God, I'm trusting you. And, and, God, and God is saying, just wait. Wait on me. I'll take care of it. Just give me time. I'm t- I'm t- and, and when we're in that moment, God's growing us. He's teaching us to trust Him. Sometimes you've got to wait. Well, Christian and Hopeful, from Pilgrim's Progress, were sitting in the dungeon. They'd received yet another round of beatings and more suggestions from giant despair to commit suicide. Hopeful has some things to say. He says, you know, you know, Christian, maybe the giant will forget to lock us in someday. Or maybe the giant will die and we'll get out of here. Maybe we'll find a way to escape. Hopeful reminds Christian of what a strong guy Christian has been in the past. In fact, Christian's been a stronger guy than Hopeful. And he tells him, let's be patient. Well, the next morning, Christian wakes up. And he's had a realization. And this is what he says. He says, What a fool I am to lie in a stinking dungeon when I might instead walk like a free man. I have a key around my neck called promise. And if I remember correctly, this key will open any lock in Doubting Castle. 
Hopeful replied, that is good news, good brother. Take it out and let's try it. And when he did, the door's bolt came loose and the door flew open with ease. It unlocked every door on their way out of the castle and they were on, back on the path again. We have a key. One of our keys is this promise in Romans 8. We know that in all things God works. Let's say this together. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Would you stand?